Coming up on this edition of the Golf Digest podcast, we discuss Brooks Kepka's latest dominant win and have a chat with three-time U.S. Open champ, Hill Irwin. My God, my swing feels like an unfolded lawn chair. Well, why do they even have water if you're not supposed to hit it there? Because it's fun! We're having fun! What is this, custom? Mine's off the rack. I wish Tiger Woods was here to help me with this. We'll do it live! Welcome back to the Golf Digest Podcast. I'm Alex Myers. Today I'm joined by Sam Wyman, Keely Levins in studio. We will have a chat coming up with Hale Irwin, the recipient of this year's Payne Stewart Award in a bit. Uh, but there's plenty to talk about. We have some rap music blaring in the background. It's a, a lot of fun going on I know. On I hope here. everyone yeah. can hear that. It's right? really yeah. setting the mood. It was mood. DMX before. I don't know who, who this is. D, but I can't. Yeah. yeah. We I should just own it and say this is part of the new podcast vibe right so we're going it's, part, it's yeah. part of the vibe yeah it's it's a younger fresher vibe <laughs> um let's start with uh, speaking i mean <laughs> to counter sam, the depends yeah, ad on our right. site today well right. sam sam played three rounds of golf this week you had to go to urgent care <laughs> 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 those are isolated so. those are isolated uh, young we were just hearing fresh. about that before uh, but anyway we're okay to talk i think uh brooks kepka with just another amazing performance and I think a lot of people were, I mean, it's stupid, but we're kind of amazed when he does well <laughs> non-major week. And, um, you know, of course, a World Golf Championship is just a, a step below. But Brooks winning his first World Golf Championship at the new-slash-old event, the uh, FedEx St. Jude Invitational now. Uh, he had a decent track record at TPC Southwind coming in. He was one of the only people who of this field who had really played there. And, um, of course, we were all excited for that final uh, round Sam with the, the pairing with Rory McIlroy, which kind of fizzled. But first, let's let's talk about positives. Brooks Kepka, just uh, an amazing year. He's he's pretty much won every award, yeah. locked up everything. You know, what I was gonna say is, do you, can we point to a PGA Tour event where Kepka during this two or three year run has really underachieved or been underwhelming? Because we keep talking about how he's played so well in major events and doesn't really do anything on P- during week to week PGA Tour. But is there is there an example of a PGA Tour a stretch on the PGA Tour where he was let kind me, of middle of the pack. I'm going to make you let me Google pull something. Up, let I mean, me pull up his right. uh, his schedule, Sam. This is uh, yeah, he, this is good podcasting. Yeah, you should have had this stats for, ready. For this no, podcast. I mean, <laughs> he should have anticipated def- me he, asking that. No, I, to answer your question, yes, right, including this year in mm-hmm. the midst of his major dominance. Obviously, the five uh, majors in a row in the top five, top four. Really, he had four in a row in the top two. Um, of course, my, my Google. You know what this is. You know what I'll say is this is very reminiscent of Tiger. You know, in that in that stretch, both ninety nine and two thousand, but also I believe in the kind of two thousand five two thousand six era where he went on these late August runs. He does, and, and you know that's where he won a lot of the times at Firestone the week after uh, when it was back when it was back the week after the PGA Championship. He was kind of um, notorious for you know having a good PGA and then going on a bit of a stretch afterwards. So. All that points to Brooks. Probably, what? But what Tiger would win at Bay Hill. Of course, you win. Win. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. win. I was going to say, there's no Torrey. way Alex is going to let this right. Tiger no, comparison no, no, I, go. No, I think the, obviously that is the big difference. Is that obviously Tiger peaked at the majors, but he also peaked week in week out. I mean, he he didn't. So just just Brooks's last three events, non majors before this, and this is sandwiched in between a win at the PGA Championship. Then he goes T50 Canadian Open. Second at the U.S. Open, T57 Travelers Championship, okay. yeah. 65th at 3M You're Open, right. then T4 at the Open, and amazing. a win. That and is amazing. So, like, I, you know, not even close. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's kind of crazy. Now he, did, now, he did have a fourth at the Byron Nelson earlier this, this year. 
Um, a T2 at the Honda Classic. It's not like he never plays well. I mean, that's the misnomer. I mean, of course he does. And, of course, he did win. What did he win? The CJ Cup at Nine Bridges in the fall. He won a fall event. Uh, but he still has just the three regular events and wins and four majors. It's it's mm-hmm. it's pretty remarkable. But, no, I mean, Keely, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I look past that. I don't, I don't care. I still, you know, to perform in the biggest events like he does every time – He's clearly the best player in the world. Oh, yeah. I don't care what he does in no. these other events. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it does it does matter what he does in some of these other events and I think that he gained a lot of I don't legitimacy might be the wrong word, but just by winning an event that is not a major just to prove that he can and that he, you know, can turn that gear on that he has in the majors to normal events. I bet that's you know, pretty terrifying for every other golfer to see because it seems like when he decides to, he wins. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable to watch and to watch him putt this week was well, like, and that's what he did yeah. fairly uh, unimpressively at Royal Portrush. Now he's right. back on obviously right. totally um, different greens and everything yeah. else. But he's fifty six in strokes gained putting, and honestly, when you watch him play at, at the majors. It seems like he makes again other right. than poor rush. It seems like he makes a lot of long putts. He's very solid on the short ones. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I know some of those majors don't get rolled into these stats, mm-hmm. and I think that's prob- probably part of the problem. But he's much better putter than the 56th best putter. He's a much better strokes gained around the green. 106. You know, I'm sorry. By the way, I just saw something else. This is another question I'm going to ask to make you look okay. something up, which is uh, <laughs> <laughs> also ready to great, great podcasting moment. No. Um, is we 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 you know we, we talk about the advancements in statistics thanks to the Strokes Kane yeah. metrics. The next great metric they should come up for because I feel like he is um, the top of the, the sport in this regard. And Tiger certainly was at his point was uh, you know putts like important putts mm. like within mm-hmm. a stroke of the lead, holding a stroke of the lead, mm. tie up for the lead. Like your percentage of putts made in those instances, yeah. he's got. I mean, no, is there a way to measure that? That's a that great. Would, that's a great point. They do in baseball clutch hitting. I mean, they do certain situations. Mm-hmm. I think it's like after the seventh inning, uh, you right. know, three run or less game. Situational or, putting. Yeah, and then there's uh, right situational yeah, putting. They should do it off of putting. like strokes you are from the lead. Right. Like when you're within that amount. Right. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Right. That'd be cool. It'd yeah. be cool to like look back to like I bet Jack's stats are. Yeah, nuts. Jack Tiger, of course, mm-hmm. would, would be pretty decent at stats. <laughs> um, no, but but Brooks, you know, it's amazing. He's now way ahead in in the world ranking. Um, you know, and we talk about him not doing much in these other events. He flat out came out and said a couple weeks ago that he doesn't practice those weeks. Right. But what I'm I'm so impressed by is that you know he went to the British, uh, sorry, the Open. He put up another fight as usual. Um, he comes right back. Everybody's kind of complaining about this you know tournament on the schedule, and I know we'll talk about the schedule maybe a little more later. How this tournament did get moved to a better date for next year, which is good to see. But that he. Hey, some of the guys didn't even play this week. I mean, obviously Tiger for different reasons. Obviously Shane Lowry was at a bar. Uh, he's having, a busy man. Yeah, he's been busy. <laughs> although he's coming over this week, amazingly. Uh, but like Ricky Fowler didn't play, and and Brooks Kepka not only shows up, but then he just goes ahead and turns it on and dominates. So yeah. impressive. You know what I was also going to say was he what was kind of we talk about Brooks as kind of this uh, machine in these settings, and he just kind of um, doesn't have the emotion or doesn't show personality other guys show but I, I was uh pleased and kind of moved by how uh important it was to win in memphis the st jude event and his Very connection important. to those kids yep. i mean I, he was he, he said all the right things about yep. the importance of that event and that event really is um 
you know, every charity on the PGA Tour yep. is a worthwhile charity, but certainly when you see sick kids, uh, it sort of strikes a chord on a, on a whole other level. And, you know, seeing that he connects with those kids and it means something to him was encouraging to see. That was really touching. Mm-hmm. My mom even called me and said that. She Aww. enjoyed that. She really, she's a big Brooks Kepka fan now. So, again, I mean, not that he did it for that reason, but it shows mm-hmm. you do something like that, it really does go a long way, you you know, when you're a star like that. And that, that was really nice to see from him uh what wasn't nice to see is Rory McIlroy who it's amazing because he's had if you just look at the results he's had an amazing season no doubt about it he has one of the best strokes game total uh, on record I know that sad only goes back to 2004 but but whatever I mean it's it's right up there and you know he has won two times including the players but this has to be the most disappointing two-win season in the history of golf um (laughs) I'm sorry. I mean, he's, he finishes in the top 10 every week, top five, it seems like, every week. He never, and I shouldn't say that because he did shoot the 61 at, at the Canadian Open, but in a, even any slight pressure on him in a final round, it does. It seems like he never has a big round. We should go back and play the tape from the Canadian Open because I remember we talked about it, and you're yeah. like, does this give him a pass? Like, yeah, now he's, we can't criticize him anymore. So we can't, I, I get it. <laughs> It's. I no no. I'm with you. What I was gonna say was um, he didn't make a birdie till no, no, the 15th hole yesterday, and, and everybody was all excited about the. First of all, I'm coming at this from two angles. A, it's disappointing for him, but B, it was disappointing as a fan. People were tuning in to see this Brooks Rory. Oh matchup, my god, and it was setting up to and see you had money yeah. on Rory. Yeah. No, I'm no kidding, I had kidding. no money on but, Rory. I I'm <laughs> glad I didn't. And, uh, but it was just, you know, well, it was disappointing the, for that the, reason as the well. The disappointing part, and I would say, first of all, should we be surprised at all? I mean, no I guess one, not. not really, because yeah. um, it's obviously there's enough of a pattern here where this is this has happened enough that you shouldn't be surprised at all. However, um, he had this really weird week at Royal Port Rush where he had a terrible first round, then he had this inspired second round, almost made the cut, uh, was very emotional, and then he came out with those statements after the Open about how he was so moved and the support he received sort of galvanized him in way and made him want to be a better player and made him want to be uh, kind of deliver on his potential and so what do you expect was for him to sort of see that through this week and have this great week and obviously he fizzled out and then uh, and again I'm a big Rory supporter because I feel like he's very authentic and and um, probably thinks more than the average tour player, which gets him in trouble at times. But you know, he didn't he didn't talk to the media because he was disappointed. Because I think I think it's like you know I want to turn a page. I want to start playing at a level that I'm capable of playing at or winning at a level I'm capable of winning at. And then he had this terrible final round or really mediocre final round, and I think that frustration caught up to him. But that's not that's not something that can be automatic just by like realizing how much the fans mean to you and you mean to them. Like that's a pretty intense realization that is not going to manifest the next time he plays golf. That's an excellent point. You're totally right. It's like a thing that takes, you know, it's not like it's a it's an off season. It's a couple of years where you yeah. have this sort of commitment to to seeing that through. Yeah. And I think there I feel like we talk about Rory a lot with like like we've the past couple of years, it's been like he's the only player his age that people will say like, oh, he's young. Mm-hmm. You know, like I feel like there's this ma- this like strange maturation process with him that like everyone's giving him like more time to make mistakes than other players his age. And I think that he might be maturing more slowly because of that. And it may take him a couple of years to grow into this player that will win on command in a way that Brooks has been doing. Well, I mean, look, we've analyzed Rory's psyche uh, quite a bit. A couple I, times. I, I, um, 
I was talking about it yesterday while playing Wingfoot. Not a big deal. But um, <laughs> oh my god, slips out. Let's just slip that in there. Everybody <laughs> take a shot every time Sam says Wingfoot. <laughs> and uh, no, but what we said was, you know, what is Rory's problem? And I feel like the 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 big and again we've talked about this before, the biggest problem that Rory has is he is arguably the the most well adjusted superstar athlete you can have, and so he cares about balance in his life in ways that clearly Tiger Woods did not care about when he was dominating the sport. So. All that gets Rory in trouble at times, though, because he just doesn't have that, you know, singular monomaniacal focus that that great dominant athletes occasionally need to have. And that ultimately is the problem. So basically what you'll you'll hear people say is he needs to be more of a you know, more of a jerk to be to be the player that he needs to be more selfish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Roll, you're rolling your eyes. No, I, I don't know. I mean, I, you're a jerk, and you're a better golfer than me. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, in a way, look, in a way, Rory makes me feel better because I, I consider myself a total choker. I know we all probably do on the golf course, and you see someone who's that good. I mean, I'm sorry, he chokes on Sunday. I mean, it, there's no, there's he's in this rut now where, um, you know, I, I know again, you could throw in the, the players he won. It was helped that, you know, Rom kind of had his meltdown and everything else. Canadian Open, where, you know, let's be honest, wasn't the biggest field or, or anything else. He had a great final round. But these other rounds where there's any sort of hype going into the round. Right. Like, nobody was even paying attention to the Canadian Open. Mm-hmm. Um, the Masters, we talk about every year when he's going for the career grand slam. Uh, Fourth the, round of Portrush. Go, going to Portrush, exactly. He does not I know. live up to we've, it. We've, and, and, we've, we're conceding that point. The question yeah. is why. Why does that happen? I don't know. You're the mental guy. I, well, I'm saying that's my yeah. theory. He's just, a, you know, like I said, he just has a level of introspection that most athletes do not have. I think he gets nervous. Well, there you go. Whatever that's it is, it. I'm saying. I mean, you start I, thinking. I, I, we, when you, you think know. about the consequences, but it's you get just nervous. Ama- it's amazing because, you know, a guy who won four majors by the time he's 25 was winning majors by eight shots that would get nervous playing golf. But he, he obviously, and, and who everybody says, um, his A game is better than anybody else. And it's and he, you know, he shows well, up to the pro- course. Still probably true. Uh, I think Brooks now has put Brooks that to bed. Brooks' A game is... I just think Brooks... Is, he, you just can't use that argument anymore when you never see it. Well, when do I, we ever I, see I, it? No, we the, saw it once. No, we saw no it I know. Open. That's a fair point. Yeah. Right. Like, Brooks, there's no, Brooks in the big events yeah. plays great every time. So that's a different Pol- level totally to me. Totally fair. So, that's a good point. Um, it also but, just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, too. You know? Mm-hmm. like I feel like if you choke on the final day enough times... How do you not just continue to do that? Yeah. It's like it's just created this right. ongoing issue right. that's I think like, I don't know, take some time off, reset. Yeah. And again, this wasn't, you know, he shot a 62 on Saturday. Oh, yeah. Uh, Webb Simpson shot, what, 64 on Sunday. I mean, it's not like there weren't, you know, it wasn't one of these things where the final round was really difficult. I mean, this is TPC Southwind. It wasn't. Um, and, and Rory McIlroy, who's the most explosive player, doesn't make a birdie till he's till it's over till he's mm-hmm. till he's out of it was just uh really really stunning really uh disappointing but you're right not that stunning because we we talk about it, it seems like every week anyway see you next week we'll talk about it again we'll but, wait yeah. till next yeah. week let's talk about a different guy uh kyle morikawa i just wanted to mention because obviously this young class of guys who just turned pro uh matthew wolf and victor hovland and now kyle morikawa he wins his first title um at the barracuda uh, in the stable first, Sam, why are you smirking? <laughs> I'll tell you in a second. He's, 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 I just, you know, Sean Martin uh, from the PJ Tour, who 
his obsession with Hideki Matsuyama has been well known. He's now obsessed with Kamurakawa, but he does come up with a lot of great stats on this guy. And um, listen to these stats from Sean. He would be first on the tour in scoring, 67.9, first in greens, first in strokes, strokes gained approach, first in birdies, second in strokes gained total to Rory. Um, and then his putting is only 100th. So it's not even like he's, wow, so he's got a hot putter or anything. He's a ball-striking machine to the point where Max Homa, his former teammate at Cal, called, said he's basically a robot. I'm not sure I've ever seen him hit a bad shot. So this Did you guy say his, strokes, his stroke average so far is 67.9? 67.9. And he's 100th in putting? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That is that It's is unreal. Incredible. And he's played now six or six. He turned pro at the Canadian Open. So right. it's not just like three tournaments. Obviously, he was runner-up to Matt Matthew Wolf, Wolf right. um, at 3M. So... I mean, this guy's awesome. Woo-hoo. The reason I was, the reason I was laughing is because yesterday when I was playing Wingfoot, did I mention I played Wingfoot yesterday? Take another I was, shot. I was playing. I was playing with Charlie, and Charlie at one point uh, looked at his phone. He gets like, a, "This is my son. He's 14. He's looking at. He gets alerts, and he says, yes, he says, Dad, Kyle Morikaro uh, uh, won the Barracuda Championship, but it's a mistake. He says he was pl- he was 47 over par. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I was like, no, Charlie, stay for yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can take your phone out at Wingfoot? Just very briefly. It was like a quick... Yeah, you gotta be... You gotta be... You gotta be technically technically I've never, suppo- I've never technically done it. You're not supposed yeah. to do it, but I, I have done it every once in a while. It depends on what caddy you get, too. Some of the caddies... That's a great caddy. Shane, when he was a great caddy. Okay. Um, actually, speaking of Stableford, what do you think, Keely, about that, too? Just, I, I kind of like that there's some tournaments with different formats. Fantastic. But yeah. the, but it, it the second to last event of the regular season seems a little random to well, kind of throw it in. Well, it's an off field event, so it's not really yeah. the... Go ahead, you were going to say. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that it makes sense this late in the year with having a World Golf Championship going on opposite of it. Okay. If it was the event of the weekend, yeah. it would have felt a little strange. And it all ends up almost being the same. I mean, I think I saw that <laughs> He would have been tied for first mm-hmm. with stroke play. It's not well. Stableford doesn't really, especially on a uh, kind of a scorable golf course yeah. on a PGA Tour. It's not going to benefit guys. Where Stableford really makes a difference is for middling players because it eliminates all your bad holes. Your bad holes. Yeah. I mean, your bad holes are just opportunities lost, but they don't. You don't make. You right. don't lose any ground at that point. So that's yeah. where it, it's such a great system for that. Actually, it's a, I guess it's a good system. We tried to do a system like that once on our trip, and it, it backfired because. One guy in particular just kept getting net eagles. Well, that's part of the thing. No, no, no. But we made it worth too much. Do you know what oh, I, mean? I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, you got it. It was, it was weird. Five, three, one is usually right. Yeah, five, three, it was one something. Is... We made it a bigger gap, and like for me and other people, it was really tough to make net eagles. For for him, he was making like a par, getting two shots, and like yeah. yeah. Anyway, it was weird. But this this system works. Obviously, it's actually a great thing for kids golf too. It's like the best thing for kids golf because it's again, yeah, you get rewarded you get for your points. good holes, and your bad holes are just forgotten. Yep. Yeah. All right, Colin Morikawa, big-time stud. All right, let's move on. Evian Championship. Keely, we got to talk about this. Jin Young-Ko, 24 years old, wins her second major of the year. I'm still – to me, it's crazy. I see the name Ko, and it just – jars me that Everyone. it's not Lydia Ko and that she missed the cut and that she's not even – this girl now is number one in the world. Again, Lydia Ko yeah. isn't even the best – female golfer named Ko under the age of 25 anymore is just <laughs> stunning. I mean, it, 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 not even close. Very specific uh, She was on pace to be the greatest of all time. Anyway, I don't want to talk about Lydia Ko because that's another time. That's but, a different long-form podcast. Jin Young Ko, tell us about her performance in France. Jin Young Ko is amazing. I mean, she, she won the ANA, the first major of the year this year. And this is her second year on right, tour, like right. as an official member. And she... 
I mean, she did get really lucky um, with Hyuju Kim having the worst break ever mm-hmm. with her T-ball just like wedging into the sidewall of Oof, a bunker. That's the worst. Yeah. Dug her feet in, yeah. took a hack at it, and the ball ended up in her footprint that was like four inches deep. And so, yeah, she makes triple. All of a sudden, Jin Young-Ko's leading and comes in on the final five holes, like one under, and wins it. I did, mean, she's so steady. Did, was there any talk of Kim taking an unplayable? Was that? Um, I don't remember. I mean, she obviously, say, hindsight, no. she probably should have, right? Um, yeah, I, mean, I mean, she, she got made, it out. She did, but the, you said the ball rolled back to her feet. Yeah. Into her oh, in the first yeah, one. Yeah, 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 oh, first. yeah. No, I don't think she really considered it. But yeah, it was it was really tough to watch because she it looked like it was going to be a blowout for her. Right. What obviously Lexi Thompson made some waves as well with her Instagram post, which mm-hmm. she just kind of ripped a, ripped apart the course. Did I'm just saying? Was, would, did did this have anything to do with the conditions? This bad no. break. Okay. Cause, no, cause it was Lexi raining. shared a photo of. Okay, it was raining of the the fairway being really beat up, uh, which is surprising because whenever you see the pictures and video of uh, yeah, I watched course, a lot of the coverage. Spectacular, and it didn't but look like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this one had nothing to do. This with had nothing that. to do with that. It was raining a ton, so like you know how bunkers can just get kind of like cementy, and right. then I think it just wedged in there. Right. Um. But yeah, I was I was super impressed with Jin Young Ko to be you know that young and have so much composure on the golf course is. It's it's amazing, and she's always. I love how like genuine she is with her reactions too. Like when she wins, she's. I mean, it's like the greatest thing that could possibly have happened to her. Uh-huh. And yeah, I did a shoot with her last year, and she's like a complete sweetheart. And she gave one of the best press conferences at the KPMG this year. Um, we were like asking her about um, like if she watches the PGA Tour. And it kind of like turned into like she watches Brooks Kepka a lot, and I, I think she's got a bit of a crush. It was really cute to oh. kind of. <laughs> oh yeah, I heard about that after. Yeah, she she's got a little crush on Brooks. Yeah, yeah that's so and fun. they both won this week. Yeah, wow, <laughs> uh, interesting. Uh, you she... must have been happy about Cupcho this weekend. Oh as yeah, a, as a no, no, fellow no, Cupcho, because no, we were just talking about. I meant to with uh, Kyle Morikawa. Cupcho is another one who just turns pro. Obviously, Maria Fassi. Um, we've seen these these men and women turn pro and instantly establish themselves as great players. She shot the best round of the day on Sunday. She finishes tied for second. She's now wrapped up her tour card, Wake Forest represent. Uh, what, what else can we talk about with her? Um, I, yeah, like it was, it was a huge weekend for her because obviously both she and Maria Fossey deferred their LPGA tour mm-hmm. status. Um, so they had already qualified for the tour, but decided to stay with their collegiate teams to see them through the NCAA season, which is like, oh, awesome. Of course. Why right. wouldn't you do that? Well, you wouldn't do that because you're only playing basically half of the LPGA season. So you have half of the amount of time right. to make enough money to be high enough on the money list to get your card for the next year. Right. So she and Fossey have just been like, you know, trying to earn as much money as possible. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't going super well, honestly, for mm-hmm. Cupcho until this weekend. She'd made like $89,000 and then this weekend made like three hundred and sixty. So that's a life changing weekend for her. So that takes a lot of pressure off, too. Like if you're just kind of fighting against this fear of like, I might not be out here next year, like right. I might be on the Symmetra Tour that's a, I mean, that's got to be a really difficult place to play from. So now there's a bit more freedom. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I love watching her play. She's such a powerful, mm-hmm. fun player to watch. Good for her. I'm still still devastated that she 
lost in that championship match and against Duke, and that was the deciding <laughs> factor with, with Duke winning the title. I know Blake. that was great. That was but, the only uh, work text I sent yeah, on my honeymoon right, was to you. Let's go, Duke. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but no, she's got a great future ahead of her. Um, another guy, a guy who has had a great career, and we keep thinking that it's winding down maybe perhaps, but maybe his future is still a few more years. It's Bernhard Langer. The guy just keeps rolling. And this week it was at uh, the place where he's dominated more than any other really as a senior, the senior Open Championship um, at Royal Lytham and St. Anne's. Uh, Bernard uh, came from behind, three, three, three strokes down entering the final round, shoots a 66. He wins his 11th senior major, his fourth senior Open title. Um, pretty amazing. I know we're going to talk to Hale Irwin because we, we talked to Hale Irwin about Hale Irwin was Bernhard Langer before right. Bernhard <laughs> Langer. And ber- believe it or not, Bernhard is still chasing Hale Irwin's career win total. It's he still amazing. needs five more. You know what's amazing is if I'm reading this right, Bernard Langer, Bernard Langer um, of his 40 senior wins, 25 are past the age of 55. Wow. Which is, you know, which speaks to his longevity. What I'd love to do is an analysis, and again, this is something that we should have done before we actually got on the air, yeah. was an analysis of, uh, you know, when Hill Irwin right. did the bulk of his winning. I mean, I remember he had a similar stretch where he had, you know, like a great, he went on a torrid stretch for yes. a few years, but also yeah, just, like 98 yeah, through 2000 stretched out wins yeah. over a long period of time. But obviously, um, you know, I would bet that Bernard has more 55. No, I, that, I think that yeah, part I is for think. sure. I mean, yeah. but, but it's, I wonder how close it is, but it's very much within reach. I mean, obviously the win's going to be harder to come by. He's 61 years old. Turning 62 uh, next month. Right. Yep. And, you know, the, the the senior open would presumably be the tournament that would be easiest mm-hmm. to win. That's kind of, they always say, the older guys can contend at um, links courses better. I mean, we, we've seen it on the, on the regular um, tour just because the ground's firmer, ball runs forever, a lot more sort of savvy and guile around the greens than, you know, just absolute brute power. But, yeah. Uh, Remarkable. I mean, and, and a guy who, you know, we've talked about him before, uh, has emerged from like four different, you know, prolonged slumps yeah. in his career and and has come out of them a better player each time. And and again, going back to those records, it's pretty crazy because it's it's um, Hale Irwin with 45 wins. They go only seven majors. So Bernard did clip him with that, and that's a record, 11. But 45 wins. Uh, Bernhard 40, and then the next most is Lee Trevino at 29. So oh there's a God. big drop off to the next guy. And, and obviously, you have to A, be, you know, pretty dominant in, in some stretch along the way. Like you, like you said, Bernard's stretch maybe came a little later. But you then, you have to have, this is, we're already talking about longevity of a career when you're still playing well in your 50s. But then you have, you have to do this for over a decade, they both have, once you get to 50. Um, it's pretty amazing. And so, anyway, that, that leads us to Hale. Let's get into Hale. We we had him. We had the honor of him and pleasure of him stopping by the office. He had just uh, won, been announced as a winner of the Payne Stewart Award. He's 74, looks in great shape. Fantastic. I mean, better shape than me, obviously. Better than you, too. You, you couldn't play three days in a row of golf. And um, <laughs> he... <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, no, he, he's you know a great guy. Came in, uh, was happy to talk about a lot of different things. Uh, Sam, what did you, anything jump out to yeah, you? Yeah, just a great storyteller, a great perspective on on um, on where the game is now and kind of his start. I mean, it you know it you know a lot is lost. Um, 
when you don't pay attention to some of these guys with these great stories because like the, the way the game has changed, the way the game was played. Like he was a guy who for a number of years wasn't exempt on the PGA Tour and had to kind of Monday qualify right. his way in and didn't really find his way for a few years. You know, we, we contrast that to Matthew Wolf and Colin Marikawa who were just winning right away. Right. He's a guy who struggled for a few years before he kind of got out there. And then he obviously won. And then he won his first major at Wingfoot, yep. which, by the way, I played this weekend. I don't know if I mentioned it to you. <laughs> what a tie-in. <laughs> I know. So it goes back. That's really well done. Yeah. No, uh, great career. And then obviously we talked a little, too, about his um, – you know, we talk about these guys like Brooks and, and Tiger who are great at DJ, who are great athletes. This guy actually was a great athlete in other sports. He was a tremendous college football player at University of Colorado. He played football and golf. He won the NCAA individual title while being an all-conference uh, defensive back. Oh so, yeah, I mean, a total ledge. That's ledge. Total ledge, absolute as the kids ledge. say these days. So anyway, <laughs> please, without further ado, please have a listen to our chat with Hale Irwin. Let me talk for a second about Golf Digest Schools. Golf Digest Schools is our new cutting-edge video instruction platform offering more than 250 classes on every part of the game and featuring the leading teachers in golf from Butch Harmon to David Ledbetter to Michael Breed. Unlike the quick tips you can find across the Internet, these are full game improvement programs meant to be followed step-by-step as if you were working with a pro. It's like Masterclass meets Netflix, but even better because there's the added promise of feedback. To sign up for Golf Digest Schools, go to golfdigest.com backslash access and use promo code SCHOOLS to get 30% off an annual subscription. Again, golfdigest.com backslash access and use promo code SCHOOLS. All right, we're excited to welcome to the Golf Digest podcast, Hale Irwin, and he's, he's actually in studio today, so it's very exciting. Hale, thanks for coming today. Uh, nice to see you. Well, it's wonderful to be here. Uh, New York's always a special spot and a very exciting spot, and I don't get here that often, so when we do get here, it's it's particularly nice, and particularly nice uh, this trip. Right. Uh, well, yeah. We want. Let's talk about first off. Obviously, your three-time U.S. Open winner, but now you've got another award, the Payne Stewart Award. Uh, talk about what, how special that is to to be named this this honor. Well, yeah, you have to know Payne and uh, and his wife Tracy, who are just really wonderful people. Tracy is, uh, I think has befriended everybody that she's ever met. What a wonderful lady. And um, Payne grew into being, I think, one of the people that we all looked up to. Uh, he was a very uh, giving, very charitable man. And uh, I had some dealings with him as far as that went uh, long ago and very cooperative man to work with. So uh, this award, which bears his name and rightly so, is. Uh, I feel very honored, let's put it that way. It puts things in perspective uh, when you're talking about charitable giving and what you can do for others, uh, and Payne exemplified that. Well, there, there's some parallels between yourself and, and Payne, or a few, I mean, both from Missouri, if I'm not mistaken, both great U.S. Open players. What was what was, um, what was your interaction like with him during, your, during his playing days? Well, I think when you're – when you're competing against one another, you really don't pay much attention to that other person. You, you're, at least in my mind, I just kind of wanted to put a bag over their head, so it didn't really matter because uh, it was it's something I had to do. Right. Whether I played with Payne or Jack Nicklaus or Arnold Palmer or anybody else, it really didn't matter. You, you still have to go do your own thing, but you were always, uh, when you were in Payne's company, you were 
you're going to be entertained, not necessarily entertained like you might think of a Chichi Rodriguez or a Lee Trevino, someone like that, but you are going to have a, uh, a man that's going to try very hard. He was going to be kind to everybody that was around him, and, and he was the kind of person that you'd want to play with. And I, I felt uh, probably the, the snapshot was uh, of pain and, and what he meant to everybody was after we had uh, – at the 91 Ryder Cup at Keel Island where we had just kind of squeaked through there at the end. Uh, we were at the festivities that evening and going back to the hotel, uh, I was walking next, right next to Payne. We were talking and suddenly he just, out of the corner of my eye, he just went up in the air. And I looked over there and there's Ian Woosnam had just snuck up behind him and Ian is a very strong man and just, and short in stature, but he was very strong and he just put his head between Payne's legs and lifted him up <laughs> on his shoulders. And But that was indicative of, I think, the interaction right. that Payne had with other people. He was a fun-loving guy. Right. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk today about all the athletes on the PGA Tour, but, I mean, you were the athlete. I mean, you, you not only played golf, obviously, at, at the highest level, but football as well. I want to go back to your, your days at Colorado where you – I just how did you manage both playing uh, football at that level and playing golf and doing both at such a, such a high level? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Can we go on to something? No, uh, yeah. Well, uh, when you're offered a scholarship to play football, and yet you, in the back of your mind, you're hoping that it would be golf, uh, mm. but nothing comes that way, uh, you have to kind of look at things and say, okay, what, what am I going to do? Where, where is golf in this mix? I, I don't know. As a senior in high school, you know, I could play some golf, but from the state of Colorado, there weren't that many good players that you didn't have the competition that you might in Florida or Texas right. or you know, somewhere else the Carolinas. Um, so when I, when I went to play football, um, I kind of look at that as I worked my way through school, if you wish. That was uh, my parents didn't have a lot of money, and it was a way I could get my way through school. Now, how do you manage that? Well, uh, carefully. <laughs> <laughs> I, it took me an, another a semester, four and a half years, to graduate because I'd kind of planned on not really loading up uh, any one semester, so I had a full semester left to graduate. But it was a difficult transition uh, when you take the, the psyche, if you wish, of playing football and then try to flip it over to the calm demeanor of golf. That was a hard thing to do. So football, in, even then, was kind of a means to an end. Golf was always your first passion? It, that, it was in the back of my mind. And as each year, you know, I went from my freshman year to sophomore, and each year I got a, a little bit better with my golf. And I was seeing that uh, while I – might be able to compete with the other players in the country. Uh, it wasn't really until I won the NCAA my senior year that it, I had to prove something to myself more than anybody else. And when I did that, that was the catalyst that said, hey, I, at least I can compete with these guys. Now, I may not be able to compete with the Jack Nicklauses and people like that for a while, but at least I can with my Pierce group. Now, right, you mentioned you won the uh, individual championship in golf. You were also two-time First team all Big Eight at a, as cornerback, right? As defensive back, but you also played quarterback. I, I read as well before you switched oh, yeah. to, to DB. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering of, of the guys today of the golfers, um, who would you be scared of tackling in the open field? Can't be scared of anyone. <laughs> that doesn't mean you can't be smart. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh gosh, that's playing in, yeah. in, in golf right now. Well, these these guys are all getting bigger. I mean, right? I mean, just look at tennis. And yeah. My, my wife and I just came back from Wimbledon. Amazing how tall these guys right. are getting. How big all these athletes right. are getting. You get, uh, you think the golfers. Well, they're. You think of uh, uh, Snedeker. You think of DJ. You think of. Kepka, you think of guys that they're not that tall. You get next to them, mm-hmm. and they're they're good right. sized men. Sure. So I think we're seeing that across the board in all sports. The the participants, the players are already getting a bit bigger. They're getting stronger, and they're probably more aligned now with sports in their background than perhaps they may have been in years past. So mm-hmm. I. I I wouldn't be afraid to tackle him. I just wouldn't do it at all. <laughs> if you thought, when even when you won the NCAA title, that, that you weren't quite sure if you were ready to compete with the best players mm-hmm. in the world. So when did that jump happen for you, where you realized that you could compete at an elite level? It took a while, simply because when I started, I was a Monday qualifier. And so uh, for I started in May of 1968, and uh, – Sal and I got married in September of 68. So we had a few lean years in there. Uh, in the two and a half years that I had to qualify on Mondays, if you made the cut, you didn't have to qualify on Monday. Mm. But if you missed the cut, then you had to qualify. So that was mm. it. And, and rather than being a top 125 as there is now, it was a top 60. So it was kind of hard to sneak in there. But I, I was learning along the way, not just how to play, but how to live on the tour. Uh, and we, we had a few sacrifices we had to make, and Sally was just a, a real champion in, in getting through all of that. Uh, but I think it really came about in, 19, in January of 1970. I, I had a, a lead going into the last hole at the L.A. tournament at uh, Rancho Park, and uh, I bogeyed the hole. Uh, I won't say foolishly because I, I made a bogey, but I – Ended up tying with Billy Casper, and he beat me on a playoff hole. But that kind of said, hey, I can. I finally got to the point where I didn't win, but right. I was competing at that level. So the confidence level started increasing. And then when I won my first term in 1971 the, over the Thanksgiving holidays at, at uh, Hilton Head, uh, that was probably one of the sweetest victories I've ever had because you know, then you've arrived. Mm-hmm. You, you, you bring up a good point, which is, I think, forgotten, which is you're, you're talking about a period, I guess this is what you're describing as kind of before the all-exempt tour, when guys had to qualify, and it was obviously, like you said, you had lean years. Uh, the, the, the opposite of that is what you have now, which is um, even the guys who aren't winning or even you know finishing in the top ten are still making very good money. Um, certainly, I don't think they're complaining, but I wonder if you feel like competitively they lose a bit of an edge um, today, given given that sort of reality, where there's not as much at stake week to week. Well, that would be hard to say. I think it's an individual game. It's an individual endeavor, uh, and each person probably has their own set of goals. Uh, I don't know as they're financially driven quite the way we once were, simply because, as you mentioned, there's there's quite a bit of money out there, and even if you're not one of the top players, you still make a nice living. Um, now, there are players that are in that 200 to 300 position, might argue with that. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the, that's what I was once upon a time. So I can, I can associate with that. But I, I, don't, uh, I don't have any qualms or any argument against how the game has grown. Uh, the players at the top now, are, are they better than yesteryear's players? Uh, Jack Nicklaus still has the best majors record, and he's one of the yesteryear players. Uh, I don't think they're any better. I think there's more players now mm-hmm. just in the game, period. 
than there once was. Now you can say, well, the numbers will substantiate the fact that they're better. Well, I would say no. They just say that there's a lot of really good players, but there's always been proportionally the same amount. Mm -hmm. The game itself, I, I, it's just different. We're we're playing with different equipment now. Uh, the ball's different. The uh, metal heads. We don't have the wooden heads. We're not playing with gutta percha anymore. Yeah. <laughs> we're not playing uh, the game that once did. And as if you saw a player go out today, speaking of the Payne Stewart, if you saw a player go out today in plus fours, what would you think? You know, in, in mm -hmm. our area, it, it right. meant something. Right. So it's it's a transition, and I don't think any of us have any qualms about it growing. I'm, I'm applauding the fact that it has grown. I think the PGA Tour and the USGA and the RNA and the, the governing bodies have done a wonderful job in, in growing the game, and it's still very, very active out there. But I, I, I must say that uh, when you see these players play today, you think, how in the world? And we're watching the the Open Championship last week, and and into the wind, they're talking about 300-yard drives. <laughs> I mean, it's just uh, I, I can't even yeah. associate with that. Uh, so the the equipment has developed, helped develop a different style of play. Mm -hmm. And the players, let's go back to the athletes. These guys now, they work out. They're probably players that, when they were younger, played some other sports. Uh, maybe somewhere were just golfers, and that's all they've done, but they've developed a very good golf game. Do they play the shots that players once did? Well, they don't have to because they can just bore that thing through the wind. So it, you can argue both ways that who's better. I'm an old guy, so I'm going to argue the old guys. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you mentioned your first PGA Tour win, obviously, what, three years later, your first major win at the U.S. Open at the, the famous massacre at Wingfoot, yeah. 1974. Uh, I read that you actually had a dream a few weeks prior that you were going to win uh, that, right. that week. Could you tell us about that? Well, uh, you can't always predict dreams, of course. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the only person I told was my wife, <laughs> uh, simply because you say, oh, yeah, sure you did. Well, it, it was, and I think it was one of those – suggestions that the mind can play tricks on you but mm -hmm. this is a, a really a, a strong suggestion so it was uh it kind of gave me a belief and, and when we got to wingfoot it was really hard and the grumbling in the locker room was just pronounced mm. and i remember telling myself seven percent of the field is checked out right so if you can beat 30 percent of them you got a chance and and to under to understate the value of a par would be a, really a big mistake so except pars for what they are they're great scores on this golf course if you make a birdie hallelujah rejoice because you're going to make some of those others mm -hmm. you just don't make too many of those others double bogeys more that's going to kill you because you can't make it up with more birdies because they're just not out there so the uh the idea was just you know i was a good driver i hit a lot of fairways and you hit a lot of greens and i just tried to keep the ball under the hole so i wouldn't fall into the trap of trying to get too aggressive and playing beyond what I maybe I could play. I didn't I wouldn't want to test my abilities on a course like Wingfoot at the time. So I just tried to keep myself in the game each day and uh, not plod along because it looked plotty, but it really wasn't. I mean, we were with uh, Jack Nicholas not too long and even he said how fast the greens were because he putted it right off the first mm -hmm. green that day and four putted. <laughs> so uh, the greens were fast even for 1974. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was a uh, it was a very difficult week. Uh, you just had to fight every hole. And I'm not saying that it was the, the epitome of difficult, but I don't think we've, at least in my career, I've never seen another golf course that played as difficult as Wingfoot did 
without weather being a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. We had virtually no weather to speak of. So uh, it was the hardest course I've ever played. The, 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 the theory of what I've read about that year is that, that that was a bit of a correction from the year prior. I mean, is that the belief when you were heading into that week and playing practice rounds and how difficult it was that the USGA was trying to, um, you know, sort of overcompensate for – uh, 73, Oakmont, Johnny Miller shooting 63. Mm-hmm. Did you get that sense well, I, even then? Well, I think there was certainly some uh, knee-jerk reaction to that, but let's let's give credit where credit's due. Johnny shooting 63. Uh, he may have shot 63 playing on a highway because he, <laughs> he was playing really, really well. So give credit to Johnny for a great round of golf. But we did have some rain uh, Saturday night, mm-hmm. which softened the course. Now, was there enough penalty to – accentuate a bad shot to make it more difficult well when you've got soft greens you you can go at it a little differently a little Mm -hmm. more aggressively and when you have a a player like johnny he can he was really good iron player he could shoot that ball right at the hole and it would stop Mm -hmm. and that but that was for all of us but so i think the knee-jerk reaction for the usj was oh we're gonna see that this year and boy we didn't (laughs) Uh, uh, so we went when we went back there in 84 10 years later we're all wondering, what are we going to see? And it was substantially uh, discounted as far as difficulty goes. Mm-hmm. It wasn't near what it was in 74. Uh, you, you've said that you enjoy the challenge of playing tough golf courses, but winning a tournament when you're seven over, I mean, is that fun? Is it actually fun for you out there? What's that? fun is to get that trophy. <laughs> yeah. uh, you can't look at scores. No. I mean, you can't. You can't say, well, I really played badly because when you see there's only two players in the entire field were in single digits hmm. over par. Everybody else was double. Right. So you know the, the golf course, when, when you've got that many good players, when you see those scores, you know that it was hard. So you can't really look at the scores mm. and say, well, that's boy, that was a bad field. No, just go out there and look at what we played uh, that week. It was a, uh, And I'm not saying Wingfoot was impossible to play, but it was – it just didn't give you any relief. Mm-hmm. And if you miss the fairway, you paid a substantial uh, price. But do I, I like those kinds of mm-hmm. golf courses simply because it, it really penalized the wayward shot. And if you didn't control your golf ball and you didn't put it where you wanted to, you were going to pay a substantial right. discount in what your scoring was going to be. Right. You just couldn't, you couldn't do it. Uh, if you hit it in the rough because the rough was so long, that you might be able to find it. It wasn't like it was topped off at four inches mm-hmm. and buried. It was just laying in there. And so when you hit it, the, the big long ryegrass would just wrap around the hosel of the club and it'd go dead left. So hmm. now you're thinking, okay, do I can't get to the green, but how do I get it back to the fairway? Do I aim in the right rough to hit it there, or do I aim in the <laughs> fairway and hit in the left rough? So you, you had right. all sorts of things you had to think about. But more than anything else, if you miss the fairway, you had to put it back in position where you could keep away from that double bogey because mm-hmm. those double bogeys were really nasty what, sorry when, when you watch golf now do you enjoy watching the players play a course like that or do you like seeing when you know 20 under par is winning a tournament no I, shockingly shane lowry who won over in a uh, port rush royal port rush what was he 15, 15 or 14 15, 15 under yep. par who would have thought that yeah yeah i mean really and truly who would have thought that right so uh i i don't I like to see good golf, and I think Shane really put on a great show for what good golf is like because everyone else, nearly everyone else, struggled. Mm-hmm. But Shane just made it look very easy. Mm-hmm. 
So I like to see good golf regardless of what the score is. I like to see quality. I don't like, like to see a shot that's kind of waywardly hit out there and get away with it mm -hmm. time after time. You may once or twice, but right. I think there has to be penalty in the game so you know what's good and what is bad and what's acceptable and what is not. Yeah, I think I, I think I know what you mean. It's like you watch certain guys play and they, they sort of take some of the penalties out of the, out of the equation just because they overpower a golf mm -hmm. course. But he played the golf course mm -hmm. um, and played it strategically and, you know, executed where he needed right. to and mm -hmm. he just did it better than anyone else. Um, you know, going back to Payne Stewart for a moment, I remember reading about how he had said uh, that – the U.S. Open just got his attention, you know, and it was for someone like him. I think he said he had attention issues. That was something that, that was good for him because it kind of always made him focus in ways that maybe a normal tournament did not. Now, as someone who won three U.S. Opens, I, I have to think that, that mentally you went into weeks like that, um, you know, knowing that that test was waiting for you and knowing that you were, were going to have to focus. Like, what was your mental preparation um, at an open that might have been different from other tournaments? Well, uh, the old expression, keep it simple, stupid, that's what I really tried to do was to keep it as simple as possible because it was going to get very complex quickly. Uh, for, for me, it was when I was younger, I didn't have a lot of uh, facilities to practice, and I, I'm not going to paint the, the poor boy, but uh, when I went out to practice, it was at a Muni course and over on the side of the fairway, and after I'd done my laborer's job for eight hours that was how I practiced but I would go out there with with this is to win the U.S. Open you know, whether it's a putt or a drive or something simply because I wasn't a pro so I couldn't be in the PGA mm. and the British Open was what's that <laughs> uh, the Masters was something that I didn't knew a little of but I could qualify for a U.S. <laughs> Open if I got good enough and I did qualify as an amateur uh, in 1966 so I got to play uh, in a U.S. amateur or a U.S. Open as an amateur, and so I understood how exciting that was. But that was my—that's what I could get into, mm -hmm. and so it was always my dream to do that. So that—that that sort of went ahead of everything else. And not that they—they're second fiddle. I don't mean that at all. Uh, somebody's asked me, would I trade an Open for something else? Not mm -hmm. in a lifetime would I ever do that. Would I love to have won another major? Uh, absolutely. But would I trade one? No, I would not do it at all. So that was always my dream. Uh, and that, as we talked earlier, the two weeks prior to winning at Wingfoot, uh, that was my dream. So you, <laughs> you, 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 you live a dream. Um, yeah, you mentioned some of the other majors. Obviously, you had, uh, I think it was four straight top fives at the Masters. You had a close call against Watson at the, at the British. Um, what, which of those other majors those close calls do you you know bothers you still or, or if it, if there are any well none of them bother okay okay none, i mean I, let, let's just fact is fact that right. i didn't win and you have to accept the fact right. that you didn't win right now did you try your best well yeah I'm, probably the one that that got away from me the most was uh and it was it, i shouldn't say the most because you're, you're always trying but i referenced the 84 wingfoot win i was leading after three rounds mm -hmm. there and uh, fuzzy ended up winning uh, but i just wasn't ready to win again i thought i was but i really wasn't mm. uh, the, in what sense what do you mean well I, my game wasn't quite where it needed to be uh my father was ill with prostate cancer and it looked like he wasn't going to make it too far and so i thought gosh if i could just here we are 10 years 
hence from the last open, if I could win again, mm-hmm. and Dad would still be alive to see that. And I just built this up into a little bit more than I could really take mm-hmm. in one day. Mm-hmm. And I got a little off the track, and I just it kind of busted my balloon. I really couldn't get back on track. There, there's other things that are affecting that. Uh, you know, I had a chance at Augusta one year. I, I shot 64 in the final round. Uh, the unfortunate thing was that Johnny Miller, Tom Weisskopf, and Jack Nicklaus got in a shootout on the back nine. <laughs> and my, my course-tying record just kind of, oh, yeah, and finishing fourth. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I was in 79. I was leading the British Open after winning the U.S. Open here at Inverness. I was leading the British Open after three rounds. And, again, I just I was hanging on. I was just mm-hmm. managing a really squirrely game. And Seve ended up winning. I played with Seve in the final round, and of course it was a very pro Seve crowd. Mm. But um, neither one of us played well. But Seve was such a good scrambler, and and I just that wasn't in me. I just couldn't mm-hmm. hang on. Um, I had chances at the PGA, so I, I can't say I didn't have mm-hmm. chances. It's just sometimes you can play your whole career and have chances and never come through. It's just the way it is. And uh, we look at Shane Lowry. I love I love to talk about Shane simply because he won with a lot of pressure on him, whether it's because his first major, his countrymen, right. his family, everybody was right there. And just think what that young man had to go through to mm-hmm. get there and how mm-hmm. delicious it was mm-hmm. to finally do it. That is, I think, the, what we live for, to be able to overcome. And I'm going to call them obstacles necessarily. You have to ever overcome a lot to get to that. But to see how well he played, how well he he did what he was supposed to do each and every time. I think it was very uh, – that's the way golf should be played is, mm-hmm. is strategically and manage what you have and not get caught up in all the other things. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly your third Open was also you know, a very popular win. You won at age 45. So uh, in 1990, where were you in your career at that point when you, when you did win and um, what were your expectations then as opposed to you know, 10 years prior? Well, at the age of 40, uh, you're almost over the hill just by looking at other players and the results and listening to – trying not to listen to people saying you couldn't play anymore. Could but you feel – sorry to interrupt you. Could you feel it? I mean, physically? No. Did you feel, no, no, it's no, just what no. you're talking about. In uh, fact, it, it, I had started my golf course design company in, when I was 40 years old. And I really enjoy that. That's I, I love that. But it was an extension of playing. But what I would taken – away from playing, I put over here in the design part, and so what you take out of playing at that level, you don't have to lose much to become just another player, mm-hmm. and that's what I was for almost five years. I was another player. And then the end of the year in 1989, I sat down with the legal pad, and I, I wrote down the tournaments that I had won, and I was going to give it maybe another year. But I wrote down the tournaments I had won and what thoughts I had. So I wrote down the 71 heritage and what I could remember alignment or something mm-hmm. in 73 heritage okay that was tempo and yeah, I wrote those down and it's, it made me start thinking like a player again hmm. and when, if I couldn't remember something I put it aside and then I'd come back and I oh yeah I remembered so I started thinking like a player again so when the 90 season started up I, I, I could feel feel it coming back so when we got to the US Open I wasn't a stranger uh, although I was 45 now I'd let almost five years pass just being another player but uh, Billy Ray Brown, and, and I don't want to belabor this, but Billy Ray Brown came to me as I was going to the first tee and Billy Ray was coming to the putting green. He asked, uh, it was just advice. And I said, well, Billy Ray, the best thing to do is just keep playing your game. Don't beat yourself. You know, don't play the silly shots. 
Uh, but you're playing well. Just keep up that play. And I went up there thinking, man, that's good advice. Why don't you try that? I was saying that to myself. <laughs> so we got around to I was playing with uh, paired with Greg Norman that day, and Greg was playing well, and he birdied the tenth hole. And I thought if Greg makes a couple more birdies, he might have a chance. So. I was out of the top 15. When we got to the 11th tee, I remember looking over at the scoreboard, and there were 15 names, and I was one out of that. So my goal said, okay, I was an invitee that year. <laughs> the USG invited me to play. I didn't qualify otherwise. So if you're in the top 15, you get in the next mm -hmm. year. So my goal was, okay, one under here and get you in without anything. And so that became my focus. And I, I buried 11. I thought, okay, let's readjust it. Let's go for top 10. And I birdied 12. I thought, hmm, let's get here. Let's <laughs> top five. And I birdied 13. Now, yeah, let's just keep this thing going. I birdied 14. So now I've birdied four in a row, wow. and I've gone from that top 15 to now I'm just one stroke back. Uh, can I be greedy and do one more? <laughs> That's why the big putt at yeah. 18, the 45-foot putt at 18, I knew it wasn't going to win. My best is that I hoped it would tie, but I was just proud of the fact that I played the last eight right. holes at U.S. Open, five under par, and right. at least I'm the leader in the clubhouse. And oddly enough, in 1975, after the last round, I was a leader in the clubhouse hmm. for a while until I think uh, Lou Graham won, I think. Uh, so anyway, fast forward to now, it was a, a great experience. You know, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about what you can do. And 45 years old is not old. It's experienced, <laughs> but at the same time, we're, I think uh, we didn't have the money then, so you could still be financially hungry versus today's players. Are they going to be financially hungry right. when they get to that age? Mm -hmm. right. Are we going to see those players come on to the PGA Tour champions? Hmm. I, I don't know, but uh, kind of skipping all around the subject mm -hmm. matter here, but that the 90 win was... Uh, while it'd been a surprising, it didn't surprise me because I had, I had had done the homework. I just set it aside and couldn't couldn't find it until right. the last moment. That putt on 18, obviously, uh, like you mentioned, it, you know, a lot of people think that it won the tournament. Obviously, it didn't got you into the playoff, mm. and you had to wait for that. Uh, but it's obviously one of those moments that gets replayed all the time. At this year at Pebble Beach, outside the media center, <laughs> right. they kept people, replaying yeah, it. they kept replaying it over and over again. Well, I watched and, it over and over. I was out. What's wrong with that? No, it's it's an amazing highlight. How how often are you reminded of that, and or do you see it on? Or, or, or oh, I, it's a very proud moment. Yeah. It's a exhilarating moment. I think people looked at that and thought uh, that's out of character. And I would say <laughs> yeah, probably so. But there was a lot that went into that, mm -hmm. right? and it was really. Uh, it was an expression of thanks. Sounds maybe a little bit corny and a little trite, but it was the the roar around the, the green from my perspective was really something. Or it could have just been me roaring myself. I don't know, but it was a very happy occasion. It wasn't solemn by any means. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw these people really clapping like this. And so I just went over there and the high five was just to, just to thank them. Right. It was not planned. How do you right. plan something like that? Right. It wasn't planned. It was just a thank you right. uh, and, and to join in. Um, uh, I was going to say, I mean, obviously you won the U.S. Open at 45. Um, you won your final PGA Tour event. You were almost 49. Uh, just what what do you attribute your longevity to? What what was it that was able – and then obviously that was before you went on to dominate the, the PGA Tour champions. So what? how did you do it for so long? Well, you have to want. You have to have a, a desire to excel. You, you can't uh, give up. You, you can't say I quit. 
Now, there may be a time you might step back and look in that mirror and say, this may be the time to take a step sideways, <laughs> not backwards. Kind of get out of the way because here they yeah. come. <laughs> um, you have to understand who you are, and priorities change in your life, whether it be your children, your grandchildren, or vocational opportunities, whatever it may be. Uh, you, you have priorities change, and that can change your outlook on what you're doing. Now, when you hit 50 years old, you have the PGA Tour champions in front of you, if you care to do that. And most of the players, <clears throat> excuse me, in the past have hit that age and have chosen to go that route. And it's a, it's a great way to go because you can continue playing with pay, maybe a little less stress um, and, and, uh, and appreciate the game more because there's a lot of golf behind you. It's in that rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. And how much more do you get to play in the future is, is questionable. So I think it just, again, I go back to that priorities and what's important to you and, and how's your life stacking up outside the game of golf because that becomes very important as well. Mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to ask you, this is a, a President's Cup year, and um, it's come up this year quite a bit with Tiger Woods that you know has the potential to be a playing captain. You were the first U.S. Ca- captain in the President's Cup, and you were a playing captain. Uh, I'm curious, um, when that sort of idea was first brought to you, not just as a playing captain, but just the President's Cup in general, what, what, what were the expectations around that event? And, you know, I guess what was that dynamic like playing and, and also being a, a leader of the team? Well, it was different simply because I, I think uh, the idea was, was a great idea. The only problem that I had as a, as a player, now I, I told uh, the commissioner at the time, I said, I want to be a player. If you want to find another captain, go right ahead. I want to be a player. Mm-hmm. I said, if I'm going to be the captain, uh, I'm going to need somebody to help out when I, because I will have to play some matches. When I'm out playing, somebody's got to kind of look around for some of the details, and and that's when I ask uh, if it would be okay to have an assistant. That was the first assistant of <laughs> it's anything. It's your fault, then. Yeah. Now there's yeah, like ten of we've them. Got, <laughs> we've got plenty of them now. You want to borrow one? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I asked Paul Azinger because Paul had been out with his uh, his cancer, mm-hmm. and he was back, and uh, thought it'd be great to have Paul because he's well liked guy. He's uh, a smart guy. He was a fun guy to be around. I thought, gosh, who's more capable than Paul to pick up the reins or even lead? Um, so anyway, that took a lot of pressure off of me as the captain when I was playing. So anyway, uh, as we we find out that the uh, the President's Cup was they, they, the tour was trying to make it more like a Ryder Cup, and and it, it kind of is. But as a player, I wanted to see something a little different. Mm-hmm. That if we to ask our players every year, because now we're playing Ryder Cup, mm-hmm. President's Cup, Ryder Cup, President's Cup. They didn't have that year off to kind of look forward to an, another Ryder Cup or another President's Cup. It was now every fall. It's just, it, it could get, I don't want to say boring, but it, it, you right. might lose something special if we didn't change it a bit. And, and I think through the years it has changed a little bit to where the players are now not Ryder Cup, President Cup, and they're not uh, just cameos of each other. Mm-hmm. They're, they're uh they're a little bit different, and I think the players appreciate that. Uh, Azinger, was he talking about the pod system back then? <laughs> <laughs> no, but he, he, he gave a, a heck of a performance yeah. as a Ryder Cup captain but when he yeah, came sure. up with that, and, and that's kind of been the, the strategy that all captains go through. I'm, I'm, I buy into it, but maybe not as, as much as some because, as, a, as again, I speak a player primarily. You don't have to come over and I'll play with anybody. You know, and I my job is to go out there and do my job, and and if uh, 
Well, Paul and I were partners once upon hmm. a time at the Ryder Cup uh, in 91. Hmm. Uh, Mark O'Mara hurt his back in the morning match, and he was supposed to go out with, with Paul, and he couldn't. So I went out with Paul, and, and that wasn't a, a, a – it was a surprise to me that I was going out. I'm happy to do it. Hmm. But now you, 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 your mindset is not to play. And, and I really didn't play very well, but Paul and I didn't play very well. We, got, we uh, lost our match that afternoon. So a lot of it is you kind of have to give your players an advance notice of mm. with whom they're going to play and what matches are they going to play and maybe against whom. So it, you, you kind of get into that mindset because golf is a lot of, of mindset uh, material. You, you played in five uh, Ryder Cups. Uh, you mentioned 91, Kiowa. I wonder how do you compare the atmosphere that uh, that final day versus the final round of a, of a U.S. Open where you were winning or, or something, you know, because we always hear how the Ryder Cup, it's even more intense. Is that well, it's, true? Well, it's different. Yeah. You can't, you, you can't take what uh, a player experiences as a, an individual and necessarily correlate it directly to what is a team competition. Right. Now, you can say, yes, as a player, you go out and you play part of the Ryder Cup team but you still have to do that yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to go out and be a part of it. Now, this, the one time that I can go out there and I can truly root, truly root yeah. for my teammates. Right. I can go out and I want that guy to make that putt. I'm, I'm not indifferent about it as I might be in, individual. Mm -hmm. Whether he makes it or not, it doesn't matter. But now when he's with me, I really want him to. And that is unique and fun to be around that environment because now you have 11 other guys and a captain if, and the families all pulling for you. Mm -hmm. No, at Kiowa we had just, you know, we just had the uh, the war at the shore. Yeah. <laughs> no uh, named. I, I didn't like that because we were just coming out of the the war sure. over in, in Kuwait, and, and uh, I didn't I didn't appreciate that because I thought it was a little bit of golf's not war. Right. Well, let's be real. Uh, but what was really there was the patriotism. I think that that came about through all that. So we had a lot of people down at Kiowa that were really for the U.S., and I think it it brought back the spark that maybe the Ryder Cup had been missing for a few years because mm -hmm. we had won early in the my four years that I played earlier in 73 or 5, 7, 9, and then 81. We were going to win. But then those the other team – the other European team, they got really good. You know, they they added some people from the continent by Steros, sure. uh, uh, Panera, mostly Spaniards, but they were and, and longer. They were adding guys from the continent that could really play good golf, so that evened it out. And we lost through the '80s. It's it's sort of like what was the America's Cup? We didn't know what it was mm. until we lost it. Oh, it's a sailing. <laughs> <laughs> and then you you figure, oh yeah, yeah, well we can skip behind the sailors right. now. Well, I think the same thing happened right. when we lost the Ryder Cup. You know, what's what's going on here? So it, in '91, sure. they really yeah. got back behind that in a in a big way, and it's it's really flourished since. You mentioned rooting for other guys, and you mentioned Bernhard Langer, and obviously now he's the guy who's chasing your Champions Tour record, your 45 wins, which is just remarkable to pile up that many wins. What what do you think when you see him? Uh, you know, he, he seems like he slowed down maybe a little this year finally, but uh, what's that been like seeing him kind of chase your record? Well, I think, I think Bernard's just played great. Uh, I can make the case he might be the best senior tour player ever um, simply because his performance has been remarkable, not just in Champions Tour events, but he's going yeah. over mm -hmm. playing. He 
plays well at the Masters. Right. He's, he's, you know, he's a very, very capable uh, player. Has a very uh, uh, level mindset. His demeanor is not up down. He doesn't get on top of himself badly. He, um, but he works very hard at it. He's very thorough. He's very methodical how he plays. Uh, I think the the long putter has kind of saved, if you want to say, saved his career mm-hmm. simply because he's a very effective putter now. Um, the only thing that can affect that is is me. You know, I, I have to if I want to go out and play, I'm gonna have to play at the level that he is. And, and again, I say priorities take precedent. I was gonna ask what what is your um, life like these days? You play still a fair amount, but what else is kind of taking your time up? Well, uh, I play some, but I've had a little bit of a left foot injury, which has kind of kept me off the golf course. Trying to, I'd rather have a a foot that works than one that doesn't uh, for everyday living, which. Yeah, as I referenced earlier, you, you look in that rearview mirror, and there's a lot of golf back then. There's not a whole lot in the future. So uh, in trying to take care of that uh, really means I'm going to have to give up a little bit of golf, uh, a lot of golf this year, just to see if I can get through that. And, and then we'll kind of look at that because there's not a whole lot of golf on the horizon for me right now. Mm-hmm. You know, the occasional um, – performance but really when you take retirement let's back up a little bit i took retirement several years ago which means you can start drawing from your retirement fund the problem is we're looked at the pga tour is looked at as an organization but we're we're looked at by the taxing authorities or the irs one as individual entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. so yet you're an individual yet you're part of a a group so how do you deal with that so they they've had to passed some special legislation once upon a time so I am I can only play in 11 events once I retire and once mm-hmm. I start total or preseason 11 during the season mm-hmm. oh, okay. during the season yeah right. 11 during the season as long as I'm withdrawing from that fund mm-hmm. right I can only play in 11 or less so you know how do you stay current with only playing 11 that's like maybe once a month mm-hmm. well if you don't stay current in this game sure you get passed very quickly. Right. You know, those little shots that you thought you, you, you remember playing, but you know, how, do you, how do I hit that little soft wedge? Right. How do I hit the drive? You know, how do I play the ball off of that bunker and right. be confident it's going to happen? So those are the little things you have to think about. And when you stay away from the game at a competitive level for as long as I have, getting back into it, it's, it's, a, it's a big mountain to climb. Yeah. Any uh, Thanksgiving football games in the backyard? How's, how's the arm? <laughs> it's a little, a little sore right now. <laughs> no, it's I, I, I've enjoyed uh, everything we've done. You know, I'm slowing down. My wife and I just uh, went to Wimbledon, had a great trip over there. Uh, so some of the things that we haven't been able to do in the past, uh, we're trying to do now. Right. Well, listen, this has been fantastic. Again, congratulations on a Paint Stewart Award presented by Southern Company. Uh, you'll be awarded at the tour championship i believe it's august 20th in atlanta so congratulations i'm sure that'll be very fun and and thank you so much for your time oh i enjoyed it very much thank you gentlemen thanks so thanks again to hale Irwin for joining us congrats to him on winning the Payne stewart award and i want a special personal thanks to hale too because the first fantasy sports league of any kind that I was in 
There's a guy, my uh, my basketball coach who I now go on the golf trip with, he ran like a rotisserie thing, he did mm-hmm. all by hand, pen and paper. It was Old golf. School. And you picked a senior player as well. And I would just pick, I mean, Hale Irwin, it was just money in the bank. Just pick Hale. That. I mean, it was either Hale or, or Dr. Gil Morgan, and but Hale, Hale got him every time. So I did well. I remember winning... Uh, you know, a few hundred bucks once. So Hale, thanks to Har- Hale. Yeah. had a hand in creating the sports betting monster did. that you he are did, today. Actually. Cool, yeah, cool, that's cool. true. So thanks, Hale. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for that. All right, let's get into some awards to finish out here. Best one-day story, that goes to the PGA Tour releasing its new schedule. Because, honestly, we're going to talk about it for one day. We're going to forget about it. <laughs> no offense. Right. Because it's uh, – I'll give you a uh, spoiler alert. There are a lot of tournaments. It goes all year round. There are 11 different uh, TPCs that are going to be played at. Um, and It's an Olympic year. That's really it, except for the Olympics. fact there's an Olympics here. That Was really there a week kind off of the Olympics last time? I'm like, old man memory here. Um, I don't remember either. I don't know what was that? we did it last <laughs> Two years ago, three was, years ago. Well, yeah. It was 2016. It was the Rio Olympics. Was there any other me- event that week? Was there an opposite field event? Um, hmm, man, I don't know. That's a great question. I don't think. There was, but yeah. Wrong. All right, again, should have probably more that up. more. Great. But uh, anyway, what, Sam, what do you think about the the schedule, though? I mean, obviously, that was I think the biggest question on everyone's mind. Right, was where the Olympics would slide in, and frankly, it seems like it's easier now to fit it in now that they have moved the entire shifted the schedule up. Yes and no. I mean, it's going to be very reminiscent of. Um, three years ago when you know you had this very truncated schedule because remember the last time it was the open championship was moved up a couple weeks yeah. and then the pga was played basically this week in july i mean the one thing that will be i think very um challenging is how condensed big events will be in a very short window of time and i think it's going to be you're going to see it in two things you're going to see it one in guys commitments to other events so your sort of you know regular pga tour events are going to be the casualty because guys are going to have to take weeks off in between these events and i also think um there is a potential for just the quality of play to suffer as well because i just think guys are you know certain guys are going to be fatigued and you're not going to get guys best i mean you're going to get to um, the Open Championship mm-hmm. in July, and then the PGA. I'm sorry, the the Olympics in August, and you just might see a level of fatigue that we're not used to seeing. But I mean, we did kind of hear some rumblings about that this year. That's what I'm saying. Right, I'm the, saying right, exactly. Yeah, and, so and I'm, I'm, I'm projecting recently. ahead. Right. To, well, he hear even more about it, and, and obviously we heard about it in 2016 when they when they did this. But I know on one level you think, oh well, maybe that's uh, you know a nice challenge to it's have a, yeah, these guys like an skill. endurance thing right it's make yeah. this more of a sport you know thing. but on the other hand i've heard people compare just in general and, and first of all the the condensed major schedule is a little oh, people are overreacting because it's basically a two week or th- three two to three week difference uh, between you know what i'm saying they, yes. they were always in a four i understand that so. but to the comparison people make is to tennis right yeah that's so, what I was for, say. so you're spread out for the year so but the way tennis works and again look golf it is what it is it's not going to change right but the way the way tennis works is you have sort of a hard court season that leads up to like now it's us open then they have a clay court season right. that leads up, they have an indoor season that leads up to the australian open then they have a, a clay court season that leads, right. like, there's like these periods where guys can build their games up right. for these events and you, there's no build-up to these events. There's just you know one big event, then you have a week off, then you play another big event. Yeah. So that's the difference. 
Yeah, no, I mean, golf does have its little seasons, obviously, the Florida Swing, California, but they don't, Not they don't lead yeah. into a specific event. Right, so that they would don't be have, cool. like, a link season. Imagine if there was, like, a Florida championship. Right. There kind of is with the, with with the, the players, players, right? but then there's no right. sort of Southeast. Right, Southeast yeah. going to the Masters. Right. It could be, like, a match play region getting into something. It could be yes. links season. Well, there is. I mean, there is. Yeah. Uh, Irish and Scottish Opens are, you know, in yeah. sort of three-week periods. But again, those are... Not really PGA Tour, though. Yeah, I mean... But I'm saying, right. so that's the closest thing you have to that right, type of... Right, 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 right. Right. Yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, I don't know. It, it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be hectic for those few months. You're going to hear... And again, keep in mind, not everybody's playing in the Olympics. In fact, a lot of people aren't going to be so playing yeah, in the Olympics. Yeah, I think but, people are forgetting how small that right. field actually is. But the people who are will probably... Justin Rose would probably complain about it. The women are literally playing <laughs> back-to-back majors right now, so like. Except Justin Rose will show up with the gold uh, medal and show it off. He's like Sam playing a wing foot. <laughs> <laughs> Similar accomplishments. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, this week in pros are just like us. Ryan O'Toole showed up at the Evian. Her golf clubs did not. I know Daniel Kang. The same thing happened to her too. But mm-hmm. Ryan O'Toole's story was particularly funny because she was apparently talking with someone from British Airways, and they said, can't you just use a rental set? Great question. Uh, Great which question. was a little, and she, <laughs> she obviously was upset with it. Now, she did compare it to uh, a race car driver using a different car. A little different, because you could die. Yeah. That. I don't yeah. think you're going to die. I know, with, trying with to think of what, would, clubs, what but, would be the same. Yeah, but I mean, again, she's a professional. This is her livelihood. She yeah. needs her equipment. She well, did get her clubs. I don't. Even, I don't. That would, you know, they should I say. Is they, I mean, they, we we were talking about alternate yeah. format type of events. Yes. Now yes. they have these. Play they have like these set. hickory events. Yes. You hear about yeah. that? I'm talking about so not hickory events. I'm just talking about you have to just do sort of off the rack. Off the rack. Um, you know, everyone gets an off the rack. Luck set of the of golf draw, clubs. you get it set. Or right. just, just yeah. trade with your playing partner. Right. Just switch back. Okay. First of all, you can't know them and know what it is. No, and you can't both be titleist people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. That's yeah. a new uh, event. Love it. All right. We can have a whole, build a whole season around it. And have a, <laughs> a swing. The <laughs> a Switch Club swing. The problem is, but, did you see the video of Dustin Johnson hitting a golf shot at lefty? Yeah. I mean, these guys, can, no, they, they, they can all, all shoot 65 with right. a rental set. So, But oh it's God. like over the balance of the season, that's where right. the advantage is. Right, take exactly. Place. And it's just the difference between and, – and we've seen guys – we've seen guys um, – not even enter, I think that's ridiculous, when they don't have their clubs. You know, like right. the qualifiers just pull out. We've also seen guys, the guy who had his club stolen, that was earned his tour card by by playing with a bunch of clubs he put together that day. He shot a 63. So, you know, it, it can go either way. But uh, it reminded me, though, and that's why I love, I got my golf trip coming up this week. I'm very excited going to Turning Stone. I love it because it's a drive, and you don't have no to risk. put your clubs on a flight, mm-hmm. either ship sticks or whatever you do, because that is such. I mean, you see it happen to these these pros. Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, so, anyway, that that's going to be nice to avoid that. All right, our stat of the week comes from Associated Press. Doug Ferguson, Brooks Kepka. This was not his stat, but this he relayed this stat. Brooks Kepka became the fifth player. Obviously, this is going back what twenty years to win a World Golf Championship and a major in the same year. Very Ooh. impressive. That's not the whole stat. Okay. See, Tiger Woods is on that list. He did it nine times. Ooh. <laughs> Another Tiger. Tiger stat. We love Tiger stats. Um, so that's <laughs> our that's our stat of the week. Well, we we do. It's a very strong we. Yeah. Um, all right. We got another tournament this week. Um, we have the Wyndham Championship, which was supposed to have this built-in drama of guys playing for the season-long points list. And in theory, I thought it was actually a good idea because the FedEx Cup points 
um, you know, can be a little too much of a crapshoot, a little too reliant on uh, these big the swings in the, the very yeah. end. And I like when guys get rewarded for a larger body of work. Like, for instance, you know, if you win the ACC regular season basketball, it should count more <laughs> than just winning the tournament like Duke does every year. They usually win the regular season, too. Um, but so anyway, nobody's going, though, because of this. Because Brooks Kepka wrapped it up already. Bang. Nine of the ten people who are in the top ten aren't even showing up. Uh, Brooks Kepka also won the, what, the Aon Risk Challenge. He won almost $5 million on Sunday. He wrapped up every award. Um, anyway, we got the Wyndham Championship, though. It's the last event for guys trying to earn their card or get into the playoffs. Uh, you guys have a pick or two you want to share? I only have one. Okay. I hope Before, that's acceptable. Yes, that's very acceptable. Um, Victor Hovland. Wow. I went with him. I can't believe that's literally that's my pick. Well, duh, because all the collegiate players yeah, are so hot right yeah. now, and he hasn't won yet. He's the obvious next one. Yeah. And he's from Norway, so that's a good thing. He's from Norway. Yeah. North Carolina. Yeah. N-O-R. It all, it all yeah. works. First three letters. No, he has to be a cross-country skier, so I right. think he and okay. I have so much okay. in common. There you go. All right. Who he's going to win. Um. I was going to go Billy Horschel, okay. 33 to 1 odds, oh. coming off the top 10 last week. Good. I like it. Yeah, there you go. My heart wants to pick Bill Haas, but uh, not doing it. Uh, I was going to pick Victor Hovland as well because I'm old enough to remember when he was the, the hot young stud before Matthew Wolf and Kyle Morikawa came along. So I'm <laughs> That going was with like him. two years ago. <laughs> um, Sam is leaving. He hurt his thumb again, I think. Um, going back something. to urgent care. Oh, he's headed uh, back to Wingfoot. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, uh, uh, what's going on here? Okay. Why would going. you bother coming back? He's we're wrapping yeah, up. We're, we're wrapping up here. I don't know. This is this Maybe is live radio right he here. He does this like this is what the third yeah, or fourth time. This. He just like gets up and us. yeah. I was going to ask him about his match play tournament. He's through the third round now. He won again. I'm wow. amazed. Well, golf. did you notice? Were you watching Slack on Friday? So he and I were partners against um, Joel and Sneeds. Right. And like, I can say this because he's gone now, but like I carried him. All day, I'm sure. And then he birdies. Oh yeah, and he talks 18, a big game. And he yeah. was just like, "Oh, I won this." He's right. like blowing up Slack, blowing up Instagram. Right. I'm like, "This is ridiculous." It's like, ridiculous. I'm going to see the chiropractor. I had to carry him for so long. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Woo! Well, yeah. Well, he he had a great day the next day because he somehow won his match and he's rolling in this uh, match play tournament. It's good for him. But yeah, I, I am very excited about uh, just you know my tournament though coming up. Big you didn't time. even make a pick yet. Big time. I did. I Victor Hovland. You stole my pick. No, he's my pick. You have to pick someone else. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, Bill Haas. Uh, Bill Haas. <laughs> you know, Bill Haas is outside the 125, amazingly, and, and he shouldn't be. He had two weeks in a row where he had a chance to win um, in recent events, and he had terrible last rounds, and he fell back to, I think, tied for 10th and tied for 11th the two times. So he's been close putting four rounds together. He just can't he's, – he's kind of like Rory with that elusive final round. But he needs a, he needs a big week just to – earn his card so that's uh, a good story though and he's got I a like good it. record here he's a you know north carolina ties obviously yeah. wake forest so go bill haas obviously webb simpson is the favorite coming off his runner-up at wgc and he's also won this event before another guy with another wake forest guy so we're still talking sam <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you wanna, yeah yeah so uh sam's back sam i wanted to give you uh, time to but, talk about your big match play win 
Yes, thank you for yeah. giving me the time. We, we, I thought we were gonna do a whole twenty minute special just on okay, that. Okay, we'll alone. do that next week. Okay. When we come, when I come back from my trip too, we'll we'll compare Perfect. how our. Oh my our god, I'm not gonna show up. You guys yeah. don't need me. It's gonna be a three hour. It'll podcast. be a three hour special. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, that was fun, guys. Thanks for joining me. Thanks again to Hale Irwin for joining us as well. Thanks to Brittany Romano, our producer, as always. And uh, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. And check back next week to see who our guest is. <laughs>